succeed. Life, uh, school, sports, athletics, government, society, your career, what, what does it take to enjoy success? I found a list. I found a list for what does it take to enjoy success in your career. I found it on the website topquestionsandanswers.com. And of course, the question was, how do I succeed in my career? And here were the 10 things that that list shared. Do what your company is paying you to do. Balance demands on your time and resources. Sharpen your communication skills. Develop productive relationships. Resolve conflicts rationally. Number six, fix your own problems. Be creative and flexible. Learn to accept uncertainty. Take responsibility for your job performance. And number 10, manage your own professional development. Practical, common sense, directions for how you can enjoy success in your career. But I wonder if it struck you like it did me that that entire list was telling you to take control of your own destiny and your own success. That entire list was imperatives, do take, fix, manage. And really only one of them had anything to do with anything that was outside of yourself. That was the one that said that you need to learn to accept uncertainty, that there can be changes around you. But all the rest of them were about how you could take control. And would you agree with me that we live in a culture of control? We gravitate towards the things that give us control. And we feel that there is a sense of power that comes when you are in control. Imagine if you walked into your next place of employment, the next company that you're going to work for, and as soon as you walk in the doors, day one, the president comes up to you and he says, don't worry, I got you. Just come in every day, take a seat right there, grab a cup of coffee, just sit. And two years from now, I promise, I will make you my vice president of operations. That sounds like a great deal, right? But I don't know about you, I would probably be skeptical. And I'd get frustrated and flustered, I think, and even a little bit dumbfounded because I wouldn't have anything to do with it. I wouldn't have any control in that matter. I'd just have to trust the president. And I'd probably wonder if it was a lie or a test. Or maybe that wasn't even the president. He just said he was. Or if it was the president, then maybe he's out of his mind and 
He won't be the president two years from now. The thoughts in my own heart and in my own mind would become inconsistent with the promise that was made. It, it would be too good to be true because I didn't have any control. So what does it take to succeed spiritually? And do we seek control there as well? And that's why I think it's really important that we take a look at the life of Jeroboam, this ancient history that we're going to study this morning. Because Jeroboam can become for us a mirror into our own hearts and our own souls. And as we look at his life, we'll experience a reality check for our own. So follow along with me here in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went and he built up Peniel. Now, in isolation, that statement may not mean very much, so we need to explore the history of Jeroboam a little bit. Uh, Jeroboam was not from the royal line of Israel. He was a man of standing, and in fact, it was King Solomon, who was the son of King David, King Solomon put Jeroboam in charge of the entire labor force of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Jeroboam was from Ephraim. He was an Ephraimite. And if you remember Solomon a little bit, Solomon was a man and a king who amassed incredible amounts of wealth. He had incredible prosperity, success in his kingdom and in his career. He amassed incredible wisdom, but Solomon also struggled with infidelity. Marital and spiritual. His numerous foreign wives that he married, they led him astray to worship foreign gods and idols. And in response, God sent a prophet, his name was Ahijah, and he came to Jeroboam, and this is, he told Jeroboam that because of Solomon's idolatry, God was going to rip the kingdom out of Solomon's hands, and he was going to give it to Jeroboam. Here's the promise that God gave to Jeroboam. This is actually from 1 Kings chapter 11. But God said through his prophet, he said to Jeroboam, As for you, I will take you and you will rule over all your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. God promised Jeroboam success. 
He promised him a, a dynasty. And it was going to be the gift of God. And God delivered on that promise through some struggles and some challenges. Solomon found out about God's plan. And so he tried to take control by assassinating Jeroboam. He attempted to assassinate him, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt. And when Solomon then died, and it was his son, Rehoboam, that would now become the king, the people of Israel, they called for Jeroboam. They said, come back to us. And they asked him to represent them before Rehoboam, Solomon's son, to negotiate a lighter workload. Solomon's incredible wisdom meant that he grew to be an architect, engineer, developer, real estate mogul, and more. Not only did he build the temple for the Lord, and he built his own palace, but then he built, and he built, and he built, and he built, and he forced his people into hard labor. Well, Rehoboam, he listened to the young guys that he had grown up with instead of the seasoned advisors. And he told the people, I'm not going to lighten your workload. I'm going to make it heavier. And in response, the people said, well, then Jeroboam's our king. And all of the tribes of Israel, except for the tribe of Judah, followed Jeroboam. The tribe of Judah was the only tribe that stayed loyal to the house of David and to Rehoboam. And so Rehoboam conscripted them to form an army so that they could engage in civil war against their fellow Israelites. Until God said, don't do that. Don't fight against your brothers. And so the civil war never occurred, but the kingdom of Israel was split, Judah in the south, the remaining tribes in the north, with Jeroboam as their king. God's promise to Jeroboam had come true. But then... Jeroboam felt the pull of power, the pull of control. So now we get to verse 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Well, this seems a, a dramatic change. But do you notice how it starts? The thoughts in Jeroboam's own mind and in his own heart, those thoughts became inconsistent with what God had promised. 
You see, God had directed his people to worship him several times during the year to to make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem for various festivals. Jerusalem was still under the control of Rehoboam, and that scared Jeroboam. Even though God had promised that he would continue to rule, even though God had promised him this incredible kingdom, but it scared Jeroboam because that was outside of his control. That relied on the word and promise of God. And Jeroboam lost trust in that promise of God. And so Jeroboam decided to take control. Verse 28. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. Jeroboam supplants the worship of God. He creates his own places, his own temples, his own systems, his own priests, his own festivals. You continue to read in the context there, that's what he does He makes his own worship style. He creates his own idols, his own gods. And when he unveils these golden calves that he had created, he uses the exact same phrase that Aaron, Moses' brother, had used half a millennium before. When the people sat at the base of Mount Sinai and they wanted to take control when they felt the timeline slipping out of their hands, when they said, we don't know where our leader Moses has gone, even though they could see the clouds and the fire and the smoke up on the mountaintop where he was meeting with God. But we want control. And they made a golden calf to worship too. And Jeroboam would have known that history. He would have have known how that incited God to anger. And so he used idolatry, which was the very exact negative reason that God had taken away the kingdom from Solomon because of idolatry. And Jeroboam now used idolatry to assert power and control over the people and over his life. Jeroboam foolishly took matters into his own hands so that he could have control. And so what I want to ask you to do this morning, as you listen to this, as you think about this ancient history of Jeroboam, I want you to use it as a reality check for your own life. When do the thoughts in your own mind and in your own heart 
become inconsistent with the promises that God has made to you. Because God has given you incredible promises. Amazing promises of his blessing, his will for you, for your life, for your eternal salvation. He's giving you blessing upon blessing and promise upon promise. But when do your thoughts become inconsistent with those promises? When do you seek to, to take control, to, to find that power over your own life and your own destiny? Because those promises of God, they call you to rely on Him, to trust in Him. When does your desire for control lead you to create your own systems and create your own plans that may contradict God's will? Has it happened for you when you and your spouse or you and your boyfriend, your girlfriend, when you know that God promises that children are a blessing from him, when you know that God promises that every single one of them is precious and dear to him, but this pregnancy was unplanned, unexpected, and you're not ready, financially, emotionally. You're not ready, and you know that God promises that he will be with you through it all, but... And so you choose to take control with a pill or a procedure that eliminates the changes coming to your life. Or maybe has it happened for you when you and and your spouse, you know that God promises that children are a blessing. You know that God promises that he desires to bless you in your marriage together. But that pregnancy hasn't happened yet. That wonderful, joyous surprise hasn't been yours. And as much as you know that God promises that he loves you, that he he cares for you, that, that you are his own dear child that he loves, the thoughts in your mind and your heart become inconsistent with that. Or maybe you do want to advance in your career and you do want to succeed and you know that God promises that he will take care of you. Every single day he promises you your daily bread and everything that you need. But you want control. And so you plot and you scheme for the bigger promotion, the bigger paycheck, 
And of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to impress your boss. There's nothing wrong with wanting to impress your clients. But could that desire lead you down a path in which you hurt your family or your friends or you neglect them? And can I tell you what's on my heart? You see, there's this church in front of me. There's this ministry here. And you know what I want? I want to serve. And I want it to grow. And I want to lead people into the kingdom of Jesus. And I trust that you do too. And Jesus tells us, he promises to us, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And when Peter gave that confession and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus said to him, that's right. And on that confession, on that truth, I'm going to build up my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But what happens when it doesn't grow the way I want it to grow? And what happens when it doesn't seem like we're winning that war for the hearts and souls of people? Do the thoughts in our hearts and our minds become inconsistent with God's promises? And do we desire to then take control, maybe take control of what, what I want then? Or to cut corners? Or let things slip, false teachings? So we can be more accepting? So maybe it'll help us grow? Look with me at chapter 13. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar, one of these altars that he had created, to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. The sin of idolatry is egregious. And so you sense God's wrath, you sense God's anger, he punishes because Jeroboam's idols, they would become a snare and a trap for the people of God for centuries. But notice how the man of God emphasized that God's word would prevail. Several different times, that's the focus. This is what the Lord says by the word of the Lord. God's word will prevail. And for Jeroboam, that was a message of condemnation. 
But thanks be to God that when God comes to us and when God confronts us, he doesn't just confront us with the reality of rebuke. He also confronts us with the reality of redemption. And to know that God's word and God's promises will stand. To know, as you see here, that it is all about the power and control of God's word. For us, that is a wonderful blessing. Because God's word promises you that God had a plan to redeem and save this world. And God had a plan to redeem and to save you. God's word promises you that he would send his own son to be that savior. God doesn't just come at us with condemnation, but he comes with us with a sure and certain hope of forgiveness. His grace, his mercy. And so it's an amazing blessing for us to know that God's word and God's promises prevail. And you know that. God's word has been witnessed to in the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus, God's own son, who came down and he was sacrificed on that cross for your sins. He rose up from that grave so that you could be declared just and right with God, so that you would know that holiness and eternal life, it is yours by the word of God. You will receive the coronation of the crown of victory and eternal life. And it's all through Jesus. It's all through the power of his cross. And no matter what our hearts and our minds might say about that, no matter how much our hearts and our minds might say that that is foolishness, that it is foolish to believe in a man who died on a tree, whose tomb was empty, as much as our heart and our mind might say that that's foolishness, we know God's word prevails. It is the very power of God, a power that he enacted to save and redeem you, to give you an eternal dynasty of hope and a place in his own kingdom. We recently got to study the, the first couple of chapters of Revelation. There's some amazing promises that God gives to us there. And all of those promises are outside of ourselves they have nothing to do with our own control. They're in God's control. But through faith and trust in Christ Jesus, God says to you, you will not be hurt by the second death. You will receive a new name. You will be dressed in white. You will sit on the throne together with Jesus. And so this morning, I want to ask you to, to see these realities, first and foremost, spiritually. The reality that you have been redeemed. And then as you see that reality, 
that you are able to take it and see how it works its way into every practical part of your life. God's control touches that too. And so when it comes to control and and success, God has an imperative for you as well. Trust me. Trust my words. Trust my promises. And you have every reason to. Because you know how God's word has prevailed through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And how he has granted to you an incredible kingdom. And all God's people who said...